You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From April the 18th, 2021, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. The text is Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of our women astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. If I were to take a poll this morning to ask you what your top ten favorite hymns of all time would be, how many of you would name Amazing Grace in your top ten? All right, all right, several of you. It has been dubbed America's spiritual national anthem. It has, it's so popular, it's sung in so many both religious and secular events. America's religious national anthem. 
And it may come as no surprise that America's religious national anthem was written by one who was guilty of America's original sin, to use the words of Jim Wallace. John Newton was the hymn writer of American, uh, of American, of Amazing Grace. And John Newton, in his early days, was a slave trader. He would <clears throat> work on ships from uh, North America to Africa and back. He was involved in the slave trade. And he tells a story about one time on the ship, there was a great storm that came upon their boat. And it was so fierce that, that he watched one of his crewmates being washed overboard a crewmate that had been standing in the exact spot that Newton himself had been standing just moments prior. And so John Newton and a crewmate, they tied themselves to the ship's pump, hoping to stay alive, and he found himself, even though he wasn't a believer, and even though he made fun of Christians, and even though the captain of the ship, the captain of the ship, found him to be one of the most profane individuals among the whole crew, Newton found himself exclaiming in the middle of that storm, the Lord have mercy upon us. Well, apparently the Lord had mercy upon them. The rest of the crew was spared and they made their way to safety, but his exclamation in the middle of a terrifying moment stayed with him. He had renounced his faith. Why, in the middle of this terrifying ordeal, did he find himself saying, the Lord have mercy upon us? So he ruminated on that for many years, and he wasn't in immediately converted. But several years later, he found his way back to a robust and meaningful faith, becoming a minister of the gospel. And that storm happened in 1748, and 25 years later, he's now a pastor, and he writes hymns to go along with his sermons, and he wrote the lyrics to Amazing Grace. Say the first two lines with me if you can remember it. I bet you can. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I wonder if that hymn isn't so popular because it's it's the conversion story of anyone who finds their way back to a robust and meaningful faith. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And those two disciples on the road to Emmaus that I read about just a moment ago, I bet they could have written those same lyrics. Because they were lost, weren't they? They thought they knew where they were. They thought they knew the way to be where they wanted to be. They were on the road. They had probably traveled hundreds of times from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were on their way to Emmaus, and they're walking, and they're talking when the risen Lord himself appears among them, and they don't recognize him. And this mysterious stranger that's walking with them begins to unpack the scriptures from Moses all the way through the... Pro you see, it was a long walk. It was seven miles. So he impacts all of the scriptures from Moses to the prophets. And then he appears to be going on and the two disciples say, no, come and stay with us, have dinner with us. And Jesus 
accepts their invitation, sits down to dinner, and he takes the bread, and after blessing it, he breaks the bread. And it's in that moment that suddenly the scales like fall from their eyes, and they recognize him. And just like that, he vanishes. And even though these two disciples thought they knew where they needed to be in that same hour, they turned around and went back the other way. You turn They had to go back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what they had seen in that same hour. They were lost. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I wonder if part of the invitation of this mysterious passage from the Gospel of Luke, part of the invitation is for us to see ourselves as lost as well. That maybe we're lost. Maybe we think we know where we are and maybe we think we know where we're going, but are we so sure? I think as a people, we are pretty lost right now. The end of one paradigm has basically happened and we haven't found our way to a new paradigm that works and so we're in this wild and turbulent time like John Newton on that ship tossed to and fro we have racial division we have political tension and let's throw a global pandemic on top of all that just for fun we don't know who to believe what to trust or where to turn just like those two disciples on the way to Emmaus we're lost those two disciples were also blind weren't they they're they're walking with jesus for the better part of seven miles and they don't recognize him hello why can't they see that it's jesus why did they only see jesus when he broke bread with them they were blind to his complete divinity and maybe the invitation in the story is also for us to see Maybe we're blind too. If those who walked with the literal risen Lord were blind, how much harder is it for us? If they had the complete divinity right there with them and they couldn't see it, how much harder is it for us to see the spark of divinity in each brother and sister and child of God that we meet? They were lost and they were blind, and I wonder if we might be lost and blind as well. Father Richard Rohr, who you hear me quote a lot, he says that spiritual maturity is largely a growth in seeing. And he says that full seeing requires most of our lifetime. And I've been listening to a podcast with Father Richard Rohr along with Brian McLaren and Reverend Jackie Lewis. And the title of the podcast is Learning How to See. And the first episode of the podcast is Why Can't We See? And so Brian McLaren suggests that the reason that we can't see is because of bias. Because of bias, which he defines this way. A bias is a prejudice or pre-critical inclination in favor of or against something. It's a pattern of prejudice or pre-critical inclination. Before we even think about it, we bring it to bear. He says it's a pattern of distortion in our ability to see what's there. So he names 
not just one kind of bias, but he finds that there are at least 13 kinds of biases. And so I'm going to name them. He cleverly packaged these biases in, in a way that the, they all start with the letter C, just to help. So number one is confirmation bias. You've probably heard this, right? The human brain welcomes information that confirms what it already thinks and resists information that disturbs or contradicts what it already thinks. Number two, complexity bias. The human brain prefers a simple lie to a complex truth. Number three, community bias. The human brain finds it very hard for you to see something your group doesn't want you to see. In other words, we put tribe over truth. This is also known as social confirmation bias. It's hard to go against your tribe, isn't it? Number, where are we? Oh, number four, complementary, see he's stretching here to get the C word, complementarity bias. If people are nice to you, you'll be open to what they see and have to say. And if they aren't nice to you, you won't. Number five, contact bias. If you lack contact with someone, you won't see what they see. Number six, conservative liberal bias. Our brains like to see as our party sees, and we flock with those who see as we do. Number seven, consciousness bias. Our brain sees from a location, he suggests, that a person's level of consciousness, or what we could say their cognitive maturity, it makes seeing some things possible and other things impossible. This was my favorite one, number eight, competency bias. Our brains prefer to think of ourselves as above average. As a result, we are incompetent at knowing how incompetent or competent we really are. Oh my. <clears throat> number nine, confidence bias. Our brains prefer a confident lie to a hesitant truth. We mistake confidence for competence, and we are all vulnerable to the lies of confident people. Number 10, conspiracy bias. When we feel shame, we are especially vulnerable to stories that cast as cast us as victims of an evil conspiracy by some enemy or other. In other words, our brains like stories in which we're either the hero or the victim, but never the villain. Number 11, comfort, or he could also call it complacency or convenience bias. Our brains welcome data that allows us to relax and be happy, and our brains reject data that requires us to adjust or work or inconvenience ourselves. He says we could say the brain is lazy, but it's very fast at being lazy. Number 12, catastrophe or normalcy or baseline bias. Our brains are wired to a set baseline of normalcy, and we assume that what feels normal has always been and will always remain. That means that we minimize threats and we're vulnerable to disasters, especially disasters that develop slowly. And finally, number 13, cash bias. Our brains are wired to see within the framework of our economy, and we see what helps us make money. It is very hard to see anything that interferes with our way of making a living. So, 13 biases 
that prevent us from being able to see clearly. And these are all happening kind of beneath our awareness, informing our snap judgments and our opinions and even our whole worldviews. And I wonder, which of these biases were at play when those two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus? Which of them were at play preventing them from seeing Jesus as who he really was? And which of those biases might be preventing us from seeing more clearly as well? Think back to John Newton. Remember John Newton from the beginning of the sermon? The one who penned Amazing Grace, slave trader. He later wrote, 40 years after that storm that I told you about, this is what he wrote. He said, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business which now makes my heart shudder. 40 years later. I wonder, friends, What biases are keeping us from seeing more clearly? And more than that, I wonder how we might move in a way that could could help us shed the scales from our eyes. You see, like those two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, our eyes are wide shut. There's so much more. Even the most spiritually mature among us have so much more to see and to learn and to grow. It takes a growth mindset. And how do we get there? I think the first way that we get there is by wanting to get there. To have a desire to grow. To have a desire to see the world and our faith with the most true and clear lenses that we can possibly see. And secondly... We have to ask God for help. We simply have to ask God for help. We can't do this on our own. And so, let's pretend I'm your doctor and I'm giving you a prescription. You ready? Here's your prescription this week. I want you to say a prayer three times daily and then come see me next week, okay? And here's the prayer I want you to say. It's a prayer from the 13th century. You may know it as a hymn. Here's the prayer day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things I pray. You ready? Your prescription? Number one, to see thee more clearly. The choir knows this. To love thee more dearly. Some of you know it too. To follow thee more nearly day by day. So I'm going to give you some hand motions to help you remember because this is your prescription, right? Ready to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day. Three of those daily. Come see me next week. Thanks for listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.